Well, as you can see, we'll continue with our Contemporary Issues series. The one advantage of speaking is you get to take off your mask, which is very nice. There are some disadvantages, however. Uh, speaking on biblical womanhood is a great disadvantage. Um, the elders said, I've already offended most everybody in the church once. I might as well do it again. And so uh, I'll try and handle this. Interesting. Uh, the latest thing I've heard from the liberal left is now that we have mansplaining. Mansplaining. Which, something about talking down to women. So, here I am this morning to mansplain. Uh, seriously, no. What we want to do is with all the issues we've talked about, we want to make sure that we go to God's word. I've been thrilled uh, when Frank spoke on racism. He's black. He could have given us his opinion, but he went to the Word of God. Mike spoke on ethics. He went to the Word of God. Mark started this off with a concept of biblical manhood, and he went to the Word of God. Now, we use quotes from other people, but the foundation of what we want to communicate today is from the Word of God. And so if what we teach is consistent with what the Word of God says, then every Christian is obligated to not only listen, but to adhere it apply it to their lives and, and live it out. And so that's going to be the prayer that we have, um, especially for this issue. In our day, it's a tough one, but we're not afraid of handling tough things. And so we will move ahead. John Piper, to quote, says, the tendency, tendency today is to stress the equality of men and women by minimizing the unique significance of our maleness or femaleness. But this depreciation of male and female personhood is a great loss. It is taking a tremendous toll on generations of young men and women who do not know what it means to be a man or a woman. Confusion over the meaning of sexual personhood today is epidemic. He quotes Emil Bruner. Emil says, our sexuality penetrates to the deepest metaphysical ground of our personality. As a result, the physical differences between the man and the woman are a parable of physical and spiritual differences of a more ultimate nature. Thank you, Emil. Um, I'm not sure do we know what he's saying, but we'll see if we can figure it out. First off, metaphysical has to do with that which is beyond the physical, what we can uh, touch and feel and, and see and observe with our senses. And so um, we, we want to move past that and realize that the metaphysical ground of our personality, the meta th that is what goes deeper than just what we see. He talks about our physical differences. They show something of the deeper psychological and spiritual differences there are between man and woman. In fact, he says our sexuality penetrates to the deepest metaphysical ground of our personality. I think that's an important concept. Hopefully, um, we can flesh it out a little bit. But by ignoring the significant differences, the God-ordained, God-created differences between men and women, we turn everyone into one kind of human, and that's not the way God designed us. We'll look at Genesis 2, where we see that um, God created Adam, and he looked at Adam. In fact, everything else in creation he looked at, and he said, oh, this is good, this is good, this is good. He looked at Adam, and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. And so he made a compliment for Adam, and we'll, we'll touch on this again a little bit later. But the importance that, that we want to stress here is that there are differences, and those differences are significant, and when they're overlooked, ignored, rebuffed, or whatever, 
They hurt us. They're not good for us. And so let's try to uh, follow God's leading on this whole thing. It is vital then that we understand and appreciate the differences. We're equal in God's sight, but we're designed with complementary differences. Remember, we want to show the beauty of manhood and womanhood. It is a deeply satisfying gift of grace from a loving God who has the best interests of his creatures at heart. The vision is not onerous or oppressive. It does not promote pride or self-exaltation. It conforms to who we are by God's good design. Mark taught us about biblical manhood, and he used some of Piper's work. At the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide for, and protect women in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationship. He went one by one through these. Talked about tr true masculinity. Notice the one picture in, uh, in silhouette form. That is often the idea of masculinity. That has nothing to do with what mature masculinity is. Mature means that a man's sense of responsibility is in the process of growing out of its sinful distortions and limitations and finding its true nature as a form of love, not a form of self-assertion. Back in the garden, when man sinned, it changed everything. It was disastrous, and it continues today. And when sin reigns, when sin is allowed to dominate our lives, we men become brutes, or we become wimps. Take your pick. And neither one is what God intended. We need to have God's Holy Spirit constantly working in our lives, filling us so that we have the capacity to, one, obey God, two, praise God, three, live out the life that God would have for us, and thereby in, in, uh, communicate to a, a lost world God's love and his power. And so it's so important for us to, have the f to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. Benevolent responsibility. I like that phrase. It was to lead, to provide for, and protect. All important concepts. This is the difference between man and woman. One of them. Very important. And then he follows by saying, in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationships, the relationship between a husband and a wife, a dad and his daughter, neighbors, fellow workers, friends, your boss. And I'm, I'm really happy that, I, and you know, I hope this isn't too unrecognizable to you, uh, that's the guy from the office. And they, by design, have made him look like the very worst, the most immature uh, male that there possibly could be. And so it's nice to have a model of what not to be. Um, so, but, but each of the relationships is going to call for a slightly different way of leading and protecting and so on. And that's where we have to work it out and we have to be very careful about how we handle all of this. Let's go to this concept. This is again from Piper. At the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture strength in leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationships. Again, there are many different kinds of relationships that a, a woman has with men, and uh, there's going to be a certain sense in which each one has to be adjusted and considered a little bit differently. But there's a disposition. There's a a desire, we can call it, to move in that direction. 
What does he mean by maturity? Well, this is kind of neat. Rhonda Shervin, and I have not read the book, but I've seen it quoted in other places. In her book, Feminine, Free, and Faithful, gives a list of what people commonly consider positive feminine traits and then negative feminine traits. The participants in her workshop say positively that women are responsive, compassionate, empathetic, enduring, gentle, warm, tender, hospitable, receptive, diplomatic, considerate, polite, supportive, intuitive, wise, perceptive, sensitive, spiritual, sincere, vulnerable in the sense of emotionally open, obedient, trusting, graceful, sweet, expressive, charming, delicate, quiet, sensually receptive versus being a prude, faithful, and pure. I kind of like some of those attributes. And that's what I believe God would have us understand are the characteristics of a mature woman. He talks about a feeling, a freeing disposition. And by disposition, we mean a tendency and an inclination, not a set of rules, but a heart that says, I want to move in this direction. To affirm, that is to recognize and appreciate and support the leadership from a man. To receive, to nurture, that means to create an environment for growth. And this is, this is a wonderful thing, that the mature woman actually can enhance her husband's or her fellow workers' uh, abilities to be a mature, God-honoring person. We've talked about men's ideas, going to Piper. I want to quickly switch now to what I think the Word of God says on these various issues. And so, if you will, let me uh, first handle Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. What a mean thing to say. Isn't that a horrible thing to do? Well, understand this. God did not do this. Eve chose this. Sin caused this, okay? And I experienced some of that pain during pregnancy and childbirth. Honey, it was, it was a wonderful experience, but it was quite painful because Betty was holding my hand and I forgot to take my wedding ring off and she kept squeezing my hand and the ring just hurt so. I don't think that's what God is talking about. You women understand this. Um, yeah, that was part of the curse, part of what happened when man and woman sinned. I'll sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. But the next section perhaps is even a, a deeper curse. God said, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Wow. Now that's painful. That is a curse. Your desire will to be in charge. Will it be in charge? God's plan is for your husband to lead. God's plan is for the elders in the local church to lead. Your sinful nature would cry out to control things. But God says, no, there needs to be the established order of male leadership in the home and in the church. We go to Ephesians 5 and uh, we read, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I have to back up a little bit, and if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Ephesians 5. I'm going to read at verse 15, where Paul says, So be careful how you live. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. 
verse 18. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with, be controlled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So being careful how we live, he goes on in verse 21 and says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I like the New Living Translation here because I think it expresses exactly what, what the intent is. Verse 22, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. This is hateful talk in our culture. This would be considered hate speech. But remember where it's coming from. This is from the inspired word of God. And Paul says, as the church submits to Christ, in the way that the church submits to Christ, as the church is designed to submit to Christ. So you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Interesting, isn't it? Let me quote again from Piper. Does this mean that a woman blindly yields to everything that her husband suggests or desires? Absolutely no. Let me quote Piper. For example, the Bible, the biblical reality of a wife's submission would take different forms depending on the quality of a husband's leadership. This can be seen best if we define submission not in terms of specific behaviors, but as a disposition to yield to the husband's authority and an inclination to follow his leadership. This is important to do because no submission of one human being to another is absolute. The husband does not replace Christ as the woman's supreme authority. She must never follow her husband's leadership into sin. She will not steal with him or get drunk with him or savor pornography with him or develop deceptive schemes with him. The scripture says it's better to obey a God rather than men when men are leading you away from what God's design and plan is. Sometimes there's a husband who is neglecting his responsibility. If the husband is there but neglects his responsibility and does not provide leadership for the children, then the mature feminine mother will make every effort to do so, yet in a way that says to her husband, I do not defy you, I love you, and long with all my heart that you were with me in this spiritual and moral commitment, leading me and the family to God. Wow. He goes on to say, this again is Piper, he goes on to say, but even where a Christian wife may have to stand with Christ against the sinful will of her husband, she can still have a spirit of submission, a disposition to yield. She can show by her attitude and behavior that she does not like resisting his will and that she longs for him to forsake sin and lead in righteousness so that her disposition to honor him as head can again produce harmony. I go again to verse 24. As the church submits to Christ, we need to submit to one another. For the woman... It means submitting to your husband as you would if, it were, if he were the Lord. For the husband, and we see this in the following verses in Ephesians 5, this means that the husband will love as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. The mature man will have a heart, a disposition that says, it's not about me. 
and will give himself to his wife. And as those things come together, the man's loving giving and the woman's loving submission, there'll be harmony in the home. The children will be raised in a way that's pleasing to God and, and helps the kids. And uh, the whole culture will be improved if this is the pattern that we follow. Again, this is God's word, not man's word. Looking down a little further in verses 31 to 33, as the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the, uh, the, way Christ and the church are one. What a beautiful thing. Verse 33, so again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I have a book by Emerson Egrich. I highly recommend it. It's called Love and Respect. Egrich goes to verse 33 of chapter 5 of Ephesians and finds there a tremendous key to harmony in the home. The husband having a deep love for his wife and the wife having a deep respect for her husband. Now, it's easy to say that the love aspect that comes from a husband must be unconditional because it's the way Christ loved, unconditionally. The scripture says, when we were enemies, he died for us. He showed his love to us when we hated him, when we were opposed to everything he stood for. Unconditional love by Christ. But we come to that last phrase, the wife must respect her husband, and suddenly we interpret it differently and say, well, if the husband is respectable, then the wife should respect him. I don't believe that's accurate. I believe that the same unconditional characteristic of her respect is required. We'll go to another passage in a moment. Their deep needs designed by God and instilled in us at the very core of who we are. In fact, let me again refer to this book. The title includes Love and Respect, The Love She Most Desires, the respect he desperately needs. And I believe Egrich has gotten a hold of something that's, that's fundamental, and I highly recommend this book, but I want to move forward on the subject. Respect from the wife is a vital part of every relationship. It can be a killer to a man when he knows and understands that his wife doesn't respect him. It can be a horrible thing for a wife when she realizes that her husband doesn't love her. An important part. Now, does a, does a wife need to be respected? Of course. Does a husband need to be loved? Of course. But it seems as though God in his wisdom has made these two concepts particularly important, that the man love his wife and that the wife respect her husband. In Colossians 3, verse 18, Paul write and again, uh, writes in, again, the, the concept is the whole idea of authority. He says, wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting, I like that concept, as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. There is a correct way for those of us who belong to the Lord Jesus to live. There are things that we need to have involved in our lives that are fitting, that are, that are the right thing to do. And in this case, Paul suggested to the women that to submit to her husband was the right thing to do. Let's go to 1 Peter 3. In the same way. And again, what's the same way? Well, we need to back up a little bit. If you have your Bibles, again, go to chapter 2, verse 11, and I'll read a considerable portion here. Appreciate if you could follow along. 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners 
to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. Be carefully to live properly among your unbelieving neighbor. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Verse 13, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. I believe that's unconditional submission. Whether the king is head of state or the officials, he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will. I'm on verse 15 now. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. And then the next verses are so key, and I want you to make note of them, because it talks about how Christ, in his great love, submitted himself to the hands of wicked people, to the cross, even to his Father, to take our sins on himself and allow his father to punish him for those sins. Incredible, incredible. In the same way then, with this same attitude, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some to refuse to obey the good news, that is, even if some of them aren't respectable, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Such an important concept. Now what happens? What happens if my wife is not respectful of me, but I still must love her? What happens if the husband is not loving his wife, but God says she must still res re respect him? Aren't you going get, to get, get run over and, and beat up and nailed to the, to the wall? Well, as long as the flesh dominates, that's exactly what will happen. But when the Spirit of God comes in and allows us to become Christ-like, then we see a difference. And Egrich, I think it's kind of humorous, Egrich says, when there's this kind of conflict in a, in a marriage relationship, that is, when the husband's not showing love to his wife, when the wife's not showing respect for her husband, how do you get it started? And his comment is, well, I usually tell the couple, the, the one who's the most mature in this couple, you start. Good concept, isn't it? It kind of puts the pressure on. Well, if, if I really believe that I'm the most mature in this relationship, then I better be loving my wife and genuinely loving her as Christ loved his church. And if I'm the mature person as the woman, then I must start by showing respect to my husband. And he goes, he goes into great length to give examples of where he's seen these two concepts as they're applied in a marriage relationship really help. I think it's worth our consideration. Let's go down then one more verse to verse 7 of 1 Peter 3. This one will take some explanation. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. That sounds appropriate. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. That's very important. After 50, how many years? 52 years of marriage, I'm still trying to understand my wife. Um, there's things that come up regularly that, whoa, what's happening here? But it's, a, it's the responsibility of the husband to make every effort to be an understanding, honoring person. 
But then the, hard, the phrase that's kind of hard, and certainly the feminists and the liberal feminists hate this, she may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Let's try and unpack that because there's an awful lot there. When it says she may be weaker, does that mean that if you and your wife have an arm wrestling contest, you will win every time? No, that's silly. Absolutely not. In fact, there's some women I wouldn't even put my arm on the table with because it would be so embarrassing how quickly I'd been slapped to the ground. But there's a sense in which, in which every woman is weaker. She has certain weaknesses. At the same time, there's a sense in which every man has weaknesses. And the unique thing is that when God created us, he recognized in Adam certain lacks. He created a woman to fill those needs. In the woman, he created a person that has certain needs, but he gave her a husband to meet those needs. In fact, <clears throat> some say that being made in the image of God requires that there be both men and women. Um, it's such a complex, deep, and wonderful thing, the, the, being God, that uh, to even come close to showing a picture of what it's like, it takes a loving husband and a respectful, submissive wife. And when they come together, you start to get a hint of the way God works. And so when it talks about a weaker person, I don't believe it means it has anything to do with physical strength or mental strength or any of those things. I believe that it means that when there's an area where a woman has need, the husband fills those needs. Where the husband has needs, the wife fills those needs. Now, I've been stressing the husband-wife relationship. I also want to make certain that we understand, and I don't have time to go into it, but there are several verses that talk about how a woman should respond in the local church. And here, here's two areas that I think we need to stress. The concept, I think, of, of the woman submitting to her husband and a woman submitting to the principles and leadership, uh, the biblical principles and, and elder leadership in the local church uh, are two things that God really has set out here. I don't believe that in every situation a woman should, uh, uh, the man should be the head in every situation. For example, here we went and hired a woman, to be the principal at Tri-State Christian School. Can you imagine such a thing? That's a man's thing. No. No, we couldn't have done better than hiring Amy to teach there, to, to lead us there. And yet, here's Mike Eels, Chris Fransman, Mr. Steele. Do they have to be the head there? No, they understand that in that situation, it's a legitimate thing for Amy to lead. What about a woman being on the Supreme Court of the United States? What do you think? Oh, of course. We're not talking about the home or the church. We're talking about other areas. I had a boss when I was at Emmaus Bible College who was a woman, Lisa Beatty. Was it a horrible thing? No. No, she did an excellent job. And I had responsibility to submit to her leadership. And so we're not talking about every situation in life when we mention these things. Although there are those who teach um, that in, in every way the woman should be submissive to the man. I can't quite go there, but um, I, I will open it up. I have to be honest and say there are some teachers, John MacArthur is one of them, who believes that, um, that the, the role of headship and submission should be in place for every situation in life. I think the thing that we want to focus on for our local church is 
in your home and in the local church, we have clear understanding of Scripture of the role that men have and the role that women have, and we're happiest, we're most God-honoring, we're most biblical when we submit to that, those teachings. Now that says to the men, men, you have a distinct responsibility in the local church. You must show your priesthood, your leadership. I've been in some local churches where the men have been, um, well, I'll say it bluntly, the men have been wusses. And uh, it's been the requirement for the women to take leadership. And they do a great job. But I don't believe that's God's plan. I don't believe that's God's way of doing it. And so we have to be very careful that in the church and in the home, we follow what the scripture says about how a man and a woman should relate to one another. I hope this is helpful. Uh, I'm open to questions, but let me recommend one thing as I close. This book, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood by John Piper and Wayne Grudem, uh, excellent book, 570-some pages long, is all online. And you can, you can download it um, free of charge, and it's an excellent work. A lot of what I've taken this morning from Piper comes from chapter 4. And if you read nothing more than chapter 4, you'll find that there's an awful lot of wonderful, I think, biblical truth that he outlines there. He has a section, and this is what I want to stress, he has a section at the end of that chapter where he'll answer many, many, many questions. Just about every question that, um, that I've ever thought of in relation to this concept, uh, he, he speaks to and answers. And so, um, yeah, I'll try and help, and I'll try and give you uh, a, some biblical guidance, but I also suggest you look at, at what Piper has to say because I think there's a, an awful lot of good there. Let's, um, let's ask God to seal some of these things in our hearts as we close. Father, <coughs> it's so important for us to obey you. More important to obey you than man, we understand that. And yet you've put certain people and, and uh, concepts in place to provide leadership and authority in our lives. And while our sin nature loves to rebel, the Holy Spirit loves us to submit. And I pray, God, that your spirit would win. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.